membership for me is a way of trying to prevent people from having the Goldilocks approach to mm. Christian spirituality, yeah. uh, where I can find just perfectly what suits me. Yeah. Uh, every church is imperfect. Find one, go to it, give yourself to it, and don't try to find everything that just fits just perfectly. Don't become that kind of person who can never have anyone else speak into your life, mm. challenge you, uh, reprove you, correct you. Uh, help you think more deeply about things, uh, go to a place where you're going to be challenged like that. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are jumping into a topic that was sent into us from an audience listener named Gwen Veenstra. She's actually the mother of Simon Veenstra. And so many of you may have heard Simon's episode, which he was on a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, joining with us to talk about... Uh, what life is like for him in the Canadian wing of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And so we just wanted to say thank you as we start out here to Gwen for sending in this episode topic, this recommendation. Mm -hmm. It's always great to hear from listeners what kind of things that they might be interested in hearing. And we quickly felt that this was a conversation that would do us some good to Mm -hmm. think through more deeply as pastors. It's sort of a perennial question that comes up in the life of any church, uh, and and particularly in CRC churches, uh, Mm -hmm. as we are a denomination that takes quite seriously church membership uh, as a as a way of doing church together, a way of uh, being the body of Christ together uh, under this denominational umbrella. And so this is a question that has even caused Mark and I to uh, have some deep discussions about things in our own church mm-hmm. and the way that we handle things and have handled things and maybe even should handle things in the future. And so we figure if it's been this good for us, it will probably be a good topic for uh, our audience out there who listens in. Yeah, the subject of church membership has changed so much in the past, I I would guess about 30 years, um, that change has increased quite a bit, thanks to, um, in large part, I think, the uh, church growth movement, megachurch movement, Mm -hmm. where um, people understand what it means to be a member of a church in a a much looser way, I would say, generally, uh, than what it used to mean. Um, I think that another factor there would be something like the Billy Graham Crusades, the popularity of things like Promise Keepers, large conferences, um, women of faith conferences being very popular in the Hmm. 90s and early 2000s. And so um, what would happen at some of these churches sometimes is people would go and they would hear an amazing message with great music and commit themselves to following the Lord. And I know at Billy Graham Crusades, they were very strongly encouraged to join a local congregation, but um, I think that uh, we'd be a bit naive to assume that every person then went out and joined the local Presbyterian, Methodist, or Anglican, or Roman Catholic Church as a result of um, uh, such an outstanding um, sermon at a conference. And so I think that uh, while the Lord certainly used conferences and Billy Graham Crusades and 
um, those things and mega churches for mm-hmm. some great purposes. Um, that has changed what people understand as church membership, including even in the Christian Reformed Church. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, this is a question that we talk about every month in elders meetings. We um, go through the, the membership roles and take a look at who might need a visit, who might need attention, um, occasionally mentioning who might need correction and encouragement to rejoin us on Sunday mornings or um, just find out what's happening in someone's life. Usually the, um, the thoughts are uh, compassionate. Uh, this person's really struggling and um, let's make sure we check in on them a little bit more this month because they've been in and out of the hospital or something like that. But um, the question does come up fairly regularly of um, what does it mean? that this person is a member of our church and how can we shepherd them back if we haven't seen them for a while? Um, there's questions I know that, that Gwen raised and I know like relatives and other Christian Reformed churches have raised about what does it mean to lapse a member? What does it mean to discipline a member of a church? Um, mm-hmm. Those questions are a lot harder to answer now than they were about 50 years ago when mm-hmm. an understanding of church membership was sort of a given. Yeah, I think that just looking back on church history, which is something I have been doing a lot lately with my adult Sunday school class that I taught last semester, doing church history, doing a survey of it, I really can't help but think that it was largely uh, as a result of the Second Great Awakening in Mm. particular. And You can maybe say the First Great Awakening too, but I think that much of the blame, I think, lies at the Second Great Awakening where Christianity really took a turn toward the inward in some ways. That's not entirely fair to say. You could also argue that the Second Great Awakening is where Christianity took a serious step outward in the sense mm. that uh, it was there was different movements like the temperance movement. Evangelism. Uh, evangelism, yep, sort of uh, social do-goodism, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to restrict people from living lives of, of uh, unhealthy habits and patterns and so on. Even the missionary uh, explosion comes on the heels of yeah. the Second Great Awakening, too. And so you have missionaries yeah. traveling through the world. Yeah, and so, so. It's, it's not entirely fair to say perhaps, but I think that the case could be made quite easily that Christianity at this point in time became less something that was done with, with, the, with the broader scope, within the broader scope of the church, and was it really transitioned to being something that was in your heart. Being a Christian is something that takes place in your heart. And so therefore, becoming a member, a living member, a functioning member of a church, of an assembly of other Christian brothers and sisters, really kind of took the back seat and became seen as something of an uh, extraneous add-on to the Christian life, not something that was fundamental uh, and essential to it, but was something that was, you know, you could kind of live without it uh, if you needed to, if you couldn't find a church that really fit your your liking or your tastes or even your maybe unique theological opinions, mm-hmm. uh, then you could kind of just go rogue and, and do Christianity on your own, so to speak. Uh, and I, I think part of this, too, was made possible by the fact that it was during this time that there was the great proliferation of all kinds of different church bodies, and there was all kinds of new options that weren't mm-hmm weren't even available to most Christians throughout history up to that point. Uh, typically, if, if you were, if it was the 16th century and you were born in the country of Germany, your <laughs> real option most likely was going to be 
that you were a Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you lived in a certain part of Germany in the Palatinate, then you would have been able to be reformed. Or in uh, Munich, you're a Catholic. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so depending on where you lived kind of determined which Christian body was available to you. Uh, but as it became more and more commonplace for you to have choices available to you, especially in the new world where this was sort of the first time we saw this kind of phenomenon, we saw it a little bit in different corners of Europe to be sure, but really with the separation of church and state, it became really just a total free for all in Mm -hmm. a sense as to which church you would go to. And so then the power of church membership was really seen as uh, something that you just voluntaristically chose to do, and it, you didn't feel like you were giving yourself the uh, or giving the church the right to have authority over you. It just was your way of assenting to the church's teaching. And I think that this has all kind of led to a difficult situation today, mm-hmm. where we very much still still think the same way. Yeah, another one that comes to mind, even as you're mentioning that, is I think. In, in our generation, Zach, and definitely in the younger, there is less of a desire for a rite of passage. And so um, I think that when our parents and definitely grandparents were growing up, there were very clear markers mm. of becoming an adult and doing certain things at certain ages. Yeah. And so you get your license when you turn 16, you graduate high school and mm. enlist in um, you know the selective service you know went through the yeah. world war ii generation and um buy a house by the time you're 23 24 years old get married right away and mm-hmm. um there are very and within that um or in addition to that churches would in mm-hmm. the christian reformed church you're 17 or 18 you need to profess your faith now yeah become um, an adult member and uh, and to become a professing member of the church and there was a, yep. a clear expectation for that or roman catholic even more so your first communion comes mm-hmm. Um, when you're this age, um, the Lutheran Missouri Synod Church that I was schooled in, same thing. Confe- mm-hmm. um, catechism leads up to confirmation, is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And this rite of passage occurs when you are this age. There is so much less of that in our mm-hmm. culture today, where um, it, it remains for Roman Catholics um, with mm-hmm. things like quinceañeras and First Communion. Yeah. Um, but um, outside of of that context, it's really open uh, as mm. to when um, a, a young person makes these rites of passage into greater responsibility, greater maturity. Um, yeah, I think that's actually a huge factor in this question of membership, where um, mm. to your point about it being an, the inward call, I think that you'd find a lot of young people and adults who say, I just haven't felt like becoming a member and in previous yeah. generations, it would be, yeah, you need to do this anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're 17, you're 18, you're going to go to college soon, you need to profess your faith. And yeah. um, that, you know, that had pros and cons to it. For mm-hmm. some people, it was a good thing to get that, that little uh, nudge in that direction. For other people, they could have felt like they were just pressured into it. They're not really sure. Yeah. Uh, they didn't really have any of that inward call. And so... Um, could have just felt like it was a meaningless ceremony almost. Yeah. yeah, I think we also live in a in a day and age where there's a great deal of fear about what membership may entail. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live on the other side of the so-called Church 2 movement uh, where there was a rapid amount of, or a lot of things coming out about just how horrible churches had treated people and have treated people over the years. We live in the time sort of in the aftermath of 
the Roman Catholic Church's issues with uh, pedophilia uh, and all the heinous things that took place there. And there's all kinds of other stories of yeah. great moral failure within churches, either from pastors or rise and elders. Fall of and yep. yeah, there's the Rise and Fall, Fall of Mars Hill podcast, which we, we even did an episode on. Uh, when that came out, and I thought it was a, a interesting podcast, and it was something that I was very curious in, and uh, I would even encourage mm-hmm. people to listen to with certain conditions and and thoughts to keep in mind. But yeah, on that point, I just ran into somebody who is from Seattle and said it's still hard to be a Christian yeah. in Seattle. Yeah, because I've heard of that Mars too. Hill Church. And so we live in the wake of this, where people are, I think, are a little bit fearful, yeah. maybe even rightly so, in some ways of sort of attaching themselves to a church body in such a way that uh, the church leadership may be able to quote unquote spiritually abuse them. Now, whether or not that is what's actually happening, it depends on the situation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's sort of like you could just say it's commitment issues here. Uh, the, the fear of the unknown of what will happen once I sort of grant my, uh, grant permission to these people uh, fallen, imperfect, sinful people, pastors, elders, and deacons, when I give them the authority to keep me accountable, does that mean that they're going to abuse that uh, so that they can keep me in line and do things to me against my will uh, and have all these pharisaic, legalistic mm-hmm. expectations of me and they're going to abuse me? Uh, what happens when I begin to really question their authority and I question their integrity? Uh, yeah, you're what, what vulnerable do I do? now. You become almost. vulnerable because yeah. you sort of signed yourself over. Mm. Uh, and so I think there is a great amount of freedom or a great amount of fear, sorry, uh, in, in people's hearts these days about what to do. Mm. Um, and so with all of these pressures, I think it becomes uh, a little bit more difficult to convince people that membership is still a good and valid, and I would even say biblical way of, of understanding how we live as the church with one another. And so a little bit of our, of our point here in this episode today is to give a biblical defense or justification of uh, membership as an idea, as a concept, or as a practice. And then we want to look at some of the more practical things. We had many actual questions from Gwen that were really practical and have a lot to do with our own uh, church order in the Christian Reformed Church. And so we'll get into some of those things. I don't know that we'll get to everything Gwen was wanting to know. Uh, We have to try to keep our audience in mind as well. And so... Yeah, that's kind of how I think we'll we know, we'll, we'll want to go about it. Yeah. Is what is the biblical argument mm-hmm. for membership, and then how can we sort of work out membership in daily practice in our lives today? So as we think about getting a establishing a biblical reason for becoming a member of a church, um, what are some hmm. examples or passages, or because uh, obviously there's there's Membership as we think of it today, official, you know, you have papers in a church, in the Christian Reformed Church, and we keep, um, you know, details of when you were baptized and, and so forth. It, it's, it's a little bit different today than it would have looked in that first church, yeah. um, uh, although a lot of similarities to it. Um, what, if somebody comes to you, Zach, and says, I, I don't find membership in the Bible, um, how are you going to respond and suggest that it's actually a good thing to do. Yeah. So 
a passage that really sticks out to me is from Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Maybe we could say that this is a proof text, uh, but I think that this passage is a strong argument for the validity of church membership. So here we read these words, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I have a hard time understanding how this verse could be read without any sort of uh, membership in play. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have leaders in your church who are set over you by God and you are called to submit to them, I think what that means is that there there is membership. There is a formal agreement that has been uh, made between both parties, both the church and the leadership and the the member, the person uh, who is sort of a laity in in this uh, in this body, mm-hmm. and so how, I don't know how you can submit to someone without granting them the ability to uh, to have a accountability to keep you accountable. And so I think that uh, the forms that we use in the CRC for membership at, at Profession of Faith are actually really powerful, really great. I think they're really biblical. One of the things that the form does in asking us various questions, uh, like will you be a faithful member of this congregation, accept its teaching and participate in its worship fellowship and mission to say, I will to that. You are saying I I'm signing on to all that this entails. And so to be a member is not just to be a person who voluntary voluntaristically Mm. chooses to show up on Sunday mornings as, as it suits you, as it's convenient for you, but it's to be a part of the deeper things that are happening in that church to, uh, to to adhere to its teaching, to participate in its worship, to uh, join in the fellowship, to be around, not just on Sundays, but to, to be around when there's other church things going on, other activities that are taking place, to spend time with people, having them into your home, have, going into their home, uh, going on mission with them, whether that's uh, helping with different ministries of the church or whether that's doing things that are outside of the church's walls. Like one thing we have in our church is a ministry to inner city Stockton, uh, where we go and we feed homeless people and talk with them and pray with them and share with them about Christ. Uh, those are the sorts of things that being a member involved, that's participating in the, the, the action and the life of the church. Mm. And so it's signing on to that. When I, moved to Florida. That was the first time in my life that I had moved away from home and I was in that process of finding a new church and uh, joining up with, with a fellowship there. And so it was an interesting time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I, when I would meet with pastors, which I did a couple of times, I would very clearly say, I want to come under your authority. Mm. I want to be kept accountable by you. I don't just want to be an attender. We often think of membership as just glorified attendership, uh, but it's it's so much more than that. Uh, church members are not just uh, observers. They're not just people who watch what happens in church. They are participants. Mm. Uh, they are fully involved. They should be to the best of their abilities involved in the the deeper life of the church. And so that passage from Hebrews 13 for me, I I guess I wouldn't call it a slam dunk by any means, but I think it's really compelling evidence that uh, we are to have leaders and we are to submit to them. Uh, 
they have to give an account for us and we have to give an account as pastors to God for those in our flock. How can we do that if we don't know who our flock is? And if those in our flock have not willingly given themselves unto our care as leaders. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of parallels between membership and marriage. Yeah, so like if, if somebody is going sure. to get really strict about um, what a Christian wedding needs to look like, and they'll say, well, there's the wedding at Cana, and really just about all we know about that is that they drank wine at it, <laughs> um, and then they drank so much that they ran out. Um, so, you know, that starts, starts you down a road of like what a, a wedding has to look like and they get mm-hmm. very, um, sort of worked up and legalistic about all of the different things the Bible says about, um, what a wedding should be. Well, um, I, I think that in, in this case, we think about membership almost in the same kind of way where somebody would, would say, well, I don't find somebody becoming a member of a church mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, signing a covenant or something mm-hmm. like that um, to uh, commit themselves to the church in Philippi or Thessalonica or something like that. And so therefore, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not something that you need to do. I think that with, with something like a wedding, we would say, well, there's a, a wedding in the Bible. There's a lot of description of marriage in the Bible. And so um, yeah. it, it, there's various weddings, of course, in the Bible. And so um, we can figure out what that might look like in our context and culture and say, um, this is certainly approved of in Scripture to be a part of a church, to be known as a part of a church. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have all the support that you need um, in the Old and New Testaments that binding yourself to a community in a, mm-hmm. in a formal way is a, biblical, mm-hmm. um, is a biblical way to live as a Christian. Um, you have in the Old Testament, of course, um, proselytes who would become Israelites. Uh, they weren't born into Israel, yeah. but... Um, just in, in doing research for this episode, I, I learned that Caleb, one of the spies of Israel, was not born into Israel, but he was very likely from the uh, descendant of uh, Esau, and so um, was uh, presumably proselytized and, and brought into the people of Israel. Uh, I'm sure he was circumcised to um, give that that physical representation of the spiritual reality of his following mm-hmm. Yahweh now. Um, and so uh, that's just one example from the Old Testament where somebody was brought in and it really mattered. Rahab is another example where mm-hmm. she was saved and um, Joshua talks about how she still lives among the Israelites to this day. And that would have mm-hmm. included various um, ceremonies for her to, to go through to be a part of the, the Jewish community, the, the Hebrew community there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, in each case, it's really encouraging the enfolding of an outsider into a community. Yeah, uh, and that outward if, identification with the community. Yes, and, and it happens in Acts 2 as well, in really two places in Acts chapter 2, refers mm. to adding to their numbers. Um, that's a mm-hmm. familiar passage from the story of Pentecost, and there were 3,000 added to their number that day. And then just a few verses later in Acts 2.47, talks about how um, the, the church was living um, in the favor of their, their neighbors, and many were being added to their number hmm. regularly. So um, each is an implication that um, there is a number of people in Jerusalem who are a part of the hmm. visible church, and uh, God is adding to that number. I think another passage that would imply church membership is towards the end of the book of Philippians, where um, the Apostle Paul is talking about how the Philippians have 
have provided for his financial needs have really been been generous in giving money mm. to Paul's ministry. And so um, I could just read some of Philippians uh, chapter four. Moreover, you as Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sat out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. And so um, he, he's encouraging there uh, this congregation for giving him financial support. And that's a mm-hmm. part of being a member of a local church, too, is to, um, to, to give your money so that God's ministry in a town might, uh, might continue. So I, I think each mm-hmm. one really does point to um, official membership as being a good thing. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a passage that very clearly speaks about membership. In fact, yeah. I know that there's there's not, not in the way maybe we would like it, those especially who are suspicious of such a concept, but there's times in the scriptures where God's people are called out by name as his people. That means that there's a distinction, there's a boundary line between those are, who are God's people and those who are not God's people, even in the book of Exodus. So going all the way back to that point, uh, when the final plague is threatened in Exodus chapter 11, the Lord tells Moses that Israel is going to be kept safe, and he tells them why. He says, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Hmm. So God is making a distinction between Egypt, who is not his people, and Israel, who is his people. Uh, it's So it's... there's. A, Redemption creates a boundary. When God redeems a people, it creates a boundary between those who are his people and those who are not his people. Mm-hmm. And so membership helps us to clarify that boundary. It helps us to understand and to see it so that all may know not only the, the church community, uh, but also the person, the individual himself or herself may know that they have crossed that boundary line or not. Yeah. And so when you have crossed that boundary line and you have become a, a member and made that public profession signals to the community that you have now taken on uh, what it means to be a member, that you are going to abide by that, that you're going to live your life for Christ. And that in the event that you do not, in the event that you begin to, uh, to turn away from Christ or to uh, sort of sputter out, you might mm-hmm. say spiritually and just, just stop attending church to kind of, be MIA for an extended period of time, then it's the church's responsibility because you've asked them to, mm. to come and to assist, to call you out, to, to work with you, to encourage you to return, to inter- encourage you to come back to the Lord uh, and to come back to him who is your first love. This is not because the church is, they love to be spiteful and mean. They love to uh, make you feel like you're a hypocrite. It's because you've you've asked them to in a different season in a different time of your life you said when i when i struggle please help me this makes me think of a story and i share this sometimes with the youth group it's a story of when i was backpacking with some friends several years ago we were going up uh, a part of a mountain that had a good bit of icy snow still left on it i think this was actually august so mm. there really shouldn't have been snow but this particular mountain uh, was the way it was it was facing and just kind of kept it in the afternoons free of any sunlight it was in the shade and so it was very icy snow and so we got out all of our our snow axes that we'd been taught or told to bring and we had all of our uh carabiners and we were linked into each other with our uh with our rope and we had a, a leader who 
uh, was really kind of an outdoorsy guy who actually had led group expeditions through this part of the wilderness. So he knew exactly what he was doing. And so he was well prepared and taught us to all link ourselves in. Hmm. And he w- went at the big, with, at the front of our line and he would go every, I don't know, every few meters, he would uh, take a pole and he would hammer it into the snow. He would link himself into it. And so that as we continue to inch our way up this mountain, we were all linked in, not the website. And <laughs> we were, we were therefore able to keep each other from falling. Cause mm-hmm. if one of us fell, you would have slid all the way down this mountain on this ice and it, we would have had to have started all over again. And so we were also taught that in the event that someone falls, we need to all very, very quickly get down on all fours, slam our, our snow axes, our pickaxes into the snow and, and hold on. Mm. And of course, about halfway up the mountain, one of my friends did fall and he, he screamed as he was told to do. He's supposed to yell so that everybody knows you're falling. And then everybody drops down to the snow and puts their, their axes in the snow and holds on so that we can keep each other from falling. And it worked. Uh, and we continued to make our way up. He got back on his feet and we finished the climb. And this is very much what, what church accountability and discipline looks like. Yeah. It's that we're there for one another when one of us is about to slide off the mountain. That's the commitment that we make. Herman Bovink writes a lot about the visible church, the institution of the church, and the invisible church, or the spiritual body of Christ. And um, so the visible church does not perfectly represent the invisible church, Mm -hmm. so those who are in the spiritual body of Christ. Um, I guess both both in the positive and negative sense, that there are some who are are born again and are are maybe looking for a church and, and going to find one, but but not yet a member of, mm-hmm. of a local church um, in, as an institution. And on the other side, unfortunately, there are those who are a part of the, the visible church and yet are not born again. And yeah. so um, that, that sort of gets us maybe in the direction I think we want to go as well in this conversation is um, what about on the, um, on the, the front side of membership is becoming a member of a church. The other side, of, um, unfortunately, is that mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. churches do need to um, to discipline members, um, to lapse memberships, um, yeah. transfer memberships to other congregations. And um, that was really at the core of a lot of Gwen's questions because that's really where things get quite complicated from a council perspective. Yeah, um, absolutely. How do we deal with things when somebody moves away and, and we sort of lose touch with them. Um, how do we deal with a situation where somebody just stops coming to church altogether and hmm. um, is maybe a little bit committed to going to another church, but um, we, there's a lot of those scenarios. We don't want to get into every single scenario, of course, during this podcast, but um, on that side of membership, Zach, you've done a lot of reading on the church order. Um, mm-hmm. What are some, some lessons that you've, you've learned there? Yeah, so the church order is a great place to turn, and I would yeah. heartily recommend uh, those of you who are members of a Christian Reformed church to to turn to it and to actually uh, study what it says about these things. And so, uh, in, in matters of inactive members, members that have over the course of about two years or more uh, not really been active, haven't been coming to church, haven't participated in the sacraments, haven't been meaningfully involved in the sort of ministry activities of 
of the church and haven't been a part of the fellowship, what are we to do? Well, one, one of these might be, one of these scenarios may be where someone has moved away. Uh, and mm-hmm. if they never sought to have their membership transferred, but they've been hard to reach, the church has tried to reach out to them, but has not heard, heard back. After about two years or so, the church order and supplement for Article 67, this is in Rule 1, it says that they are to be lapsed, which is not really a disciplinary mm-hmm. action. Uh, it's just a matter of sort of cleaning the church roles, you might say. Mm-hmm. This person is not meaningfully a part of, of our fellowship. Uh, we are therefore uh, not really in the spiritual position of authority over them in any meaningful way, meaningful way and we haven't been able to have that. And so uh, they are to be lapsed. This is yeah. not a disciplinary action. Again, this is not something to say that uh, this, we doubt this person's salvation or anything of that sort. Another scenario would be, and this is actually uh, something that I think we've seen more here, is that someone just kind of over the course of time stops being a part of the Christian fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they aren't around. They don't participate in the sacraments, but they haven't moved. They're still around. So. In this situation, uh, the church should continue to reach out, and if they do hear back from this person, uh, and they hear that three of the following conditions have been met, uh, then they can be lapsed for for these reasons, which means that they're they are free to sort of pursue uh, church membership in a non-Christian Reformed church or in a Christ or a a church that is in ecclesiastical fellowship with the Christian Reformed mm-hmm. Church. So these three conditions are, first, that the person claims to still be committed to the Christian faith, so they're not denying their Christian faith, they're not turning their back on it. The second is that the person claims to be worshiping elsewhere. Uh, this, uh, the terminology here is interesting, that they claim to be still a, a Christian and still worshiping elsewhere. Uh this this means I think we don't need to do serious investigation. Yeah, hire a we, private we investigator. Yeah, we don't need yeah. to hire a private <laughs> investigator to go to their church and to see if they're there three out of four Sundays of the month or something like that. Yeah. I think we can take them at their word, uh, and thus we have serious reason to doubt it, I guess. And then thirdly, the third condition is that the consistory must not be aware of any public sin requiring discipline. So this means that there's nothing that the consistory knows about what's going on in their personal life. And for all we know, uh, they're, they're not committing any sort of serious sin or living in any kind of serious sin mm-hmm. pattern. And so if these three conditions are met, then we, their, their membership can be lapsed or sort of just dropped, let go of. Yeah. Uh, and so if these are not, if one of these are, are not, maybe two of them are met, but not, not the third one, then actually church discipline is in order. So, for example, let's say they still say that they are a Christian, but they, and they're not in any kind of public sin, or they're not they're not uh, committing adultery with their spouse or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they are not worshiping somewhere. Then it's the church's duty, the their the church in which their membership still uh, resides, to to call them out, to call them to repentance, and should that not happen, then to put them under formal church discipline. Yeah. Uh, and this is difficult stuff. This is yeah. not the fun sort of thing uh, that pastors sign up for when we become pastors, but it's what we do sign up for because this is part of what it means to shepherd the flock of Christ. Well, I'm sure it 
warrants an entire episode on church discipline. Not sure if we've yeah, done maybe one that yet. Could be a part two. <laughs> um, but um, you know, it, it it is helpful if people have a biblical and reformed understanding of church discipline, even as we start yeah. to talk about some of these things, because um, it, it's a little bit of an unfortunate. Uh, title to call it excommunication because <laughs> that's really a reference to com- the sacrament of communion and mm-hmm. not to barring somebody from talking to somebody. I, I think that yeah. um, sometimes excommunication um, gets confused with the word meaning anathematized, which is to yeah. to, ana- to anathematize somebody is to to say like the person is so far gone that there's no coming back. Um, the Christian Reformed Church does not anathematize people. Um, but it is in our church order to excommunicate. And so, um, like Zach just mentioned, there is a, a process for lapsing a member, but unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. it does, uh, it, there is a possibility for, for Zach or I or any member of a church to be excommunicated if um, there is unrepentant sin um, that, uh, that somebody is living in. And, um, you know, I heard, heard a story several years ago of, of somebody who was a minister and uh, had an affair, and you know, I'm in love with this this other woman, and mm-hmm. uh, he had uh, a wife and small children at the time, and nope, you know, uh, she just uh, wasn't attractive to me anymore, or gave any other number of reasons, and here I am with this new girl now, and it was absolutely adultery, a sinful, terrible situation, mm-hmm. and um, just no repentance, and so. Um, it's it's in scenarios like that where um, somebody um, the the council would plead with a person over time mm-hmm. to come back to the fold, uh, turn to Christ, repent, um, receive life, the life that Jesus offers, and 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 say no to this ungodliness, to the sin that somebody is stuck in. But if a person persists in that sin, excommunication, which means. Um, uh, church discipline that recognizes hmm. somebody from all that we can see is not born again um, would happen in a church. Yeah. Um, it's not God's final word of judgment on a person, but Correct. it is um, a church recognizing from everything that we can see uh, this person is, is not uh, following Christ, is not uh, showing the signs of regeneration, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So um, so it's meant to be a very grave warning yeah. to this person Yeah, and for uh, the sake of reconciliation. Sure, and, and we've, had, we've had serious conversations even with people in church and, and had to say at times, we care about your soul mm-hmm. and the eternal destiny of your soul. And so sometimes it's just that conversation that helps people really wake up because... Um, people can get so stuck in the rut of sin and um, a lifestyle of sin, whether that's drunkenness or a sexual sin or um, a lifestyle of lying, of dishonesty and of pride or of mm-hmm. greed. Um, and in each case, um, the church can be a real blessing, actually, to come alongside a person and say, wake up. It's almost like shaking somebody who's mm-hmm. in a stupor. Um, wake up to this sin. You're stuck in it, and we want to help you get out you know, um, in the power of the spirit of that sin. And so, um, at times people would say, no, I don't, I don't really see that as a bad thing. And so, hmm. um, I, sometimes I'll, I'll, it, that sounds, um, exclusive, I suppose to people, but, hmm. um, what it really, really means at a fundamental level is that 
church membership really does mean something because if if it if it didn't mean anything then you could just do whatever you want and uh yeah go you go your own way and uh this is all just in word only and there's there's really no um mm-hmm. no we, we did a f- episode a few episodes ago about uh the abolition of man and how there is real meaning in things mm. and yeah um, yeah and and so truth is real and church membership is is a real thing that you're a part of that can be ruined by certain behaviors beliefs um, mm-hmm. and actions so um, I, I liken it a little bit to if somebody joins a club that is a, a Pepsi fan club and they love <laughs> Pepsi everybody gets together collects old Pepsi cans and loves all things Pepsi and all of a sudden somebody says you know what I hate Pepsi I like Coke mm-hmm. and uh, they come to every meeting with with Coke, you know, and, and about how Coca-Cola is so much better than Pepsi. At a certain point, I think everyone would agree, eh, maybe it's it's actually better that you're not part of the Pepsi fan club. And, mm. and so um, that's that's a very trite, I recognize, illustration, but hopefully it could help people see um, such a thing, a similar kind of thing could happen in a church where somebody says initially, mm-hmm. I love Jesus, and then by their lifestyle starts to say, I'm not following God's word. God's mm-hmm. word isn't good. God's mm-hmm. word doesn't teach me to live in this way. The church can at a certain point say, um, well, then then you're actually not a, a Christian from all that we could see. Yeah, and I, I think here we're brought to a real issue in the experience of 21st, Christi- 21st century Christianity where mm. today because of these sort of, sort of moral divisions that are shaking the church to her core, uh, it's quite easy to to receive excommunication from one church and then walk down the street and knock on the door of the next church and say, mm-hmm. hey, that church excommunicated me for yep. X, Y, or Z reason, and so I would like you to consider me as a member because I know that you agree with me over against that church. And so now it's it, it means a, a bit less to be excommunicated if you can simply find a church that suits your, your tastes or your... Uh, your own opinions, uh, your own convictions, or just doesn't so, know anything about you. So again, the appeal of the mega church yeah, for this, um, yeah. where you can just go and no one really knows your life. Yeah, there's the yeah. anonymity involved yeah. there, yeah. and so yeah, that that just for me is a lament. And so I think, at the very least, we we do need to be uh, a little bit curious at when somebody joins our church and has a lot of bad things to say about their <laughs> previous church. Yeah, uh, that should be maybe a little bit of a, maybe a yellow flag. There could be good reasons that they left that previous church. There are really harmful churches out there. Uh, I've heard my fair share of horror stories where I, I think people did all they could to do what was right uh, and were still forced out by their church. I've heard of some stories, for example, from friends of mine who had backgrounds in the independent fundamentalist mm. Baptist church mm-hmm. and sort of uh, spiritual abuse that they were really and truly experiencing in those situations and how those churches tried to even get them, tried to prevent them from becoming members at new churches when they decided finally to leave. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, if somebody is coming from a, from a church that they've been sort of excommunicated from, or uh, for whatever reason have they've been under discipline, 
we do, we do need to try to assume the best of, of other churches and try to understand the situation and, and make a good call, not just to be excited about having a new person come to our church, right. one more person to sit in our pews. Hey, that's great. Uh, that, that shouldn't be the attitude of us as churches. We should uh, respect other churches mm. as much as we possibly can. Uh, and so that's just something I, I think that's also at play here yeah. that makes the the church scene or the, the the membership scene in the US quite quite difficult and probably other parts of the world too. And that segues really well into one of Gwen's questions which was um, asking about the benefit of exit interviews for members who are leaving. Mm. And so yeah. um, there are people that's who have question. left Almond Valley and um, we try to do that uh, or w- while that's while we realize that's happening. I mean um, it's usually a process that unfolds over months or maybe even a year plus of time. Um, as a church and as elders, we, we have sat in people's living rooms and hmm. they would give us their reasons why they're going to a, a new church or going to start looking for a new church. And um, we always want to be really clear during those conversations that if somebody goes to a church that we know is a Bible-believing church, um, we're not going to make it hard for them or um, assume the worst of them and uh, talk badly about somebody. Um, You know, sometimes it's something like um, somebody uh, wants a different type of ministry than what we offer right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And so at times you you can find that maybe at some bigger churches, particularly if somebody has like a special needs Mm -hmm. child and um, yeah, our church, this, this, ministry that this church offers just really fits well with with what Mm -hmm. uh, we feel we need for our family and so in in a situation like that you know we would say we would be really sorry to see somebody go and we would like to you know try to work things out so that we can help provide for that need that somebody has but in the end uh god bless and god speed you know and and um may the lord bless you and we we pray together with a family who's leaving we've done this a handful of times it's really sad when somebody does uh, or a mm-hmm. family decides to leave the church but um, those conversations can actually be very life-giving those exit interview type of conversations when um, when people can see um, the church um, doesn't isn't just going to try to keep me here uh, almost um, in spite of my spiritual needs yeah um like, no, we, we recognize that there are different seasons that people go through in their life, and, mm-hmm. and it could be okay um, if somebody would, would go to another congregation for a certain reason. Yeah, I, I think that those kinds of exit interviews, those sound like organic examples. Yeah. that it, it happened over a course of time as well. I could, I could think about, about those stories in our church. Uh, and it wasn't like those people just quickly decided, you know what? One day I got sick of it, and now yeah. I'm going to a new church. It, it was a a long thing that they had thought through, even openly thought through and asked th- questions about, uh, and they had really been trying to seek the best thing to do for their family. Mm-hmm. And so when it finally, when the day finally did come for them to stop coming, it was not a surprise to most people who who knew them in the church. Uh, it would be a more difficult thing if somebody became a member and was member for, a member for years, and then all of a sudden just decided to leave without warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that inter- exit interview would be a bit more difficult. Uh, but w- I guess in, in the, the situations we've experienced here, it seems like we were having exit interviews, if we want to call them that, yeah. in a more informal way for months, uh, mm-hmm. and it was ongoing. And so 
uh, yeah, where I, we were really pursuing on the front end and saying, yeah. hey, um, is everything okay? We've noticed, you know, you haven't been around the church as much. Yeah. And, um, I guess the reason that we would even include information like that in a podcast is just to help listeners know that uh, not every church is just, you know, a dog eat dog trying to get all the members that we can get and hang on to people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, it's so bad that so and so is going to another church now. You know, um, we live in a real world and we live in, yeah. a, in a, um, a context where there are other church options and we recognize we're not a perfect church. So mm-hmm. that's a big part of this actually is um, like you referenced the independent fundamentalist Baptists. Like uh, there would be a lot of those congregations that would think they're the only true church in, yeah. in an area. And so of course somebody would have to stay a member there because mm-hmm. to depart from that fellowship would essentially be to depart from the faith. Um, yeah, we just yeah, want exactly. people to hear us say, no, I mean, um, there are other Christian yeah. reform churches and, and, well, one other in Ripon now and other ones in our area. And um, there's other great congregations that aren't Christian Reformed too. Mm-hmm. And so um, we just hope people hear that, um, you know, if, if that time comes, which was is, is a sad thing, that that an elders, an, uh, an elder uh, group of elders that, that really cares about people will hopefully have a good attitude towards mm-hmm. um somebody you know switching over to a different church we, we've yeah. tried to model that as a church yeah exactly there, there's it's there's hard. not yeah <laughs> it, it is hard but it and, and yeah. there's also the sort of the sadness that you deal with as a pastor or as an yeah, elder or yeah. a deacon in these kinds of conversations because you know that uh, whatever you've done <laughs> you can't help but sort of feel like it's a it's a reaction against you or your leadership. Yeah, especially as a pastor. Uh, as a pastor, um, that really is clear. Yeah, and I, I guess... And what, it's not necessarily that. And what we want to communicate is that it, it does happen, but membership really does matter. And so mm-hmm. we want to, again, we talk about the double ditch. On The ditch on one side is, yeah, membership isn't really that important anyway, so go mm-hmm. go uh, to another church and God bless you on your way. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other, The ditch on the other side is, Membership in our church is so important that um, yeah. we're going to make things really difficult for you if right. you stop coming or if you didn't didn't come to the evening church, you know, as much as we think you should have. Where membership matters so much that it's it kind of shackles people. Yeah, we definitely um, don't want to spiritually shackle people. Right. So uh, and, yeah, we want to be in that. And I think part of the benefit balance. of having of having such a large sort of invisible church is that there are so many great churches that people can go to. Uh, and they may have really good reasons why they mm-hmm. decide to go there as opposed to come here. Uh, and if they, if their convictions have really changed and through the, our conversations with them, their, our, their convictions cannot go yeah. back, <laughs> yeah. then it, it sort of is for the best in a sense. If somebody becomes a, a credo Baptist uh, yeah. and really just feels like they cannot be here no matter what, they, they cannot be a part of our church, I could try my best to convince them, but... If that doesn't happen, and I think, I, I think it would be best for them to go to a church where, where it did. I, I think at the end of the day, mm-hmm. though, uh, membership for me is a way of trying to prevent. One of the greatest arguments I could make is it's it's a way of preventing people from having the Goldilocks approach to mm-hmm. Christian spirituality. Yeah, uh, where I can find just perfectly what suits me. Yeah. Uh, every church is imperfect. Find one, go to it, give yourself to it. Uh, 
find people once i think i actually just heard paul vanderclay say last week which i found was i thought was really helpful he said find a christian that you really look up to as a person and maybe go to their church if you have no other leads mm-hmm. on where to go to church go to their church yeah. and give yourself over to it uh, and don't try to find everything that just fits just perfectly uh, and I, I think that's true. Don't become that kind of person who can never be, a sp- who, you can never have anyone else speak into your life, mm. challenge you, uh, reprove you, correct you, uh, help you think more deeply about things. Uh, go to a place where you're going to be challenged like that. Of course, don't go to a place that's spiritually abusive. Do all that you yeah. can to avoid churches that are going to take advantage of you like that. Uh, and you might even but, bring people aside and say, hey, come to this church with me, somebody who's really discerning and see if you see any red flags because it yeah. seems good to me. Yeah, right? or ask, yeah. if you're moving away, ask your pastor yeah. about, hey, maybe help me yeah. try to find a church just from your research that you can do. I, I'm pretty good about, I do this for our college students when yeah. they move away. Sure. I try to give each college student a few different recommendations, just judging by websites and what I can see from sermons and so on. Uh, so ask your pastor, hey, I, I need help finding a church where I'm mm. going and I want to try to weed out some some churches that may be a little bit more unhealthy for me. Uh, yeah, in the body of Christ, we need each other. That's First Corinthians twelve, <laughs> yeah. so clearly. So that maybe that's the note that we want to leave it on. Is um, yeah, absolutely. The eye cannot say to the ear, "I don't need you," and that means um, mm-hmm. not just be a part of the church, capital C church, in the spiritual mm-hmm. sense, but um, hopefully that's worked out in all kinds of practical ways in um, each listener's life that. Um, you have people who are different than you around you all the time. Yeah. You're singing with them. You're praying with them and for them. They're praying for you, encouraging you. Hmm. Um, you're sitting under the word together, giving of your money to support um, what is happening at a local church. All of these are actually, they're not burdens. They're really wonderful things to be a part of. So Yeah. Yeah, so we hope that this has been helpful, not just for Gwen. Again, thank you, Gwen, for this recommendation, but we hope it's been helpful for everyone who's listening in, and maybe you've thought about these kinds of questions before. And so, yeah, we, we again, we would love to hear from any of you your feedback about not just this episode, but maybe some recommendations you were, would, would have for uh, topics that we could discuss in future episodes down the line. And so... Thank you for tuning in this week, and we look forward to being with you next week as well. All right, see you. Grace and peace, you guys.